Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is definitive oral history of Star Trek. And Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars. But what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July. They shouldn't have killed this dog. The complete uncensored ass-kicking oral history of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the new age of action. Coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate Fantasy Theme Week's of classic film. From 1998, film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight. Yes! Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident, self-assured style. Lex Luthor in Superman. What is it about Gene Hackman that... Uh... His performance, it's off the charts, but still in reality. Fiendishly gifted. 1981, Sam Raimi Opus, The Evil Dead. Oh, yes, yes right? fine choice. Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have. Charade. Yeah. Oh, so Directed good. by I... Stanley Donnan. It's a textbook screenplay. It's just effortless, and it, there's not a wrong note in this movie. Can't say enough great things about it. We'll be back next Friday with an all-new episode of The 430 Movie, wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us now. For the 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hello and welcome to Best Movies Never Made, a podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Most of the time, the movies you're trying to make don't get made. Like, four of them may happen, one of them may happen, none of them may yeah. happen, and I'll be attached to three more things by end of summer. Turn the script into something resembling like Unforgiven with Conan. Yeah. Sadly, the rights expired and the whole thing just like went away oh. overnight. New episodes will be available every other Monday. We won't see you at the movies. Best Movies Never Made, as featured in Entertainment Weekly, is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And we're back. We're back from San Diego. And I didn't even get hit by any carts or rolling luggage or flying cars. Or, or COVID. It. Well, that remains to be seen. Well, good. hopefully not. A good uh, good friend of ours um, has a really bad case of COVID from... Um, True. And I've been testing. Uh, I've been testing uh, every day. Though, though, to be honest, I'm not sure he got it from Comic Con because it, it takes two weeks to develop. Who are you talking about? Our our good friend. Our good friend. Our good friend Charlie. Oh, I'm not talking about Charlie. I'm talking about someone oh. else. Oh, okay. Oh boy. Oh, Charlie. Charlie got it. Yeah. Charlie. Oh, Charlie. I didn't Charlie's know. I, he was the last. Darling. <laughs> He was the last. I should have sent him out to the court field. He should have. But because he was the last person I talked to after SmackDown. Wow. He came over. We had a whole conversation. I, sh I sure hope I was wearing a mask. Shit. It's all um, right. The last two people I saw at Comic-Con both have COVID. You'll be fine. I sure hope so. You'll be fine. I have a lot to live for. Yeah, uh, like no one else does. I know, but I do. So I'm very, uh, 
I, I hope, man, shit. Oh, you, you know, I was so excited about doing this episode. Now I'm all like uh, freaked out. Oh, relax. I didn't know Charlie had COVID. Yeah. I mean, I literally was the last person at Comic-Con I talked to before I, before I left. He, he came up to me after SmackDown. We had a nice conversation. But now now this, this ruined everything for me. Well, thanks. Good. Okay. That's worse than getting hit by a freaking scooter. Oh, you think? God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't that, know. My niece. Now, likes... you know, now you know some perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, listen, I got to tell you, San Diego was really nice. It was really nice. We had a really good time. We did. And uh, particularly the Inglorious Trexperts panel. I mentioned this on the panel, but I want to thank you again. I told you Miguel came up. This guy, Miguel came up to me at the beginning of the panel, and he said, "I'm in, I'm here from Puerto Rico. This is my first Comic Con, and one of the reasons that I'm here, and this is the most important panel for me to come to, is because over the course of the last two and a half years during lockdown and COVID and everything, he said the thing that kept me going was the Inglorious Trexperts, and it meant oh. so much. I, I got to tell you, I broke my no talking to people rule." to talk to him and he was he was just lovely and it meant a lot to me and honestly i've been thinking about retiring from this podcast but it, when people say things like that because we are going in our fifth season i can't say that that might that may be my last season i'm not sure i'm still deciding well but it is a five-year mission yeah exactly i'm kind of thinking after five years that's that'll be the time to pack it in but um but it was so sweet and so, it meant so much and we get a lot of these kind of emails and tweets and uh, uh, messages and and uh, you know it, it definitely is the thing that gives me pause because you know we don't realize you know we're just doing our thing but to, to know that we've had that vacuum. kind of impact we're here, we're here in a vacuum and we don't we're know. here in a Dyson Dyson right. Dyson sphere Dyson vacuum yeah so um, anyway I just want to thank you so much for um, you've restored my faith as well as my son's. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, that was that was really nice. And of course, a really special. I forgot to thank you at the end of the panel. I felt terrible. Mark Rivera, Mark Rivera, a great, fantastic, awesome sound mixer came down to Comic-Con courtesy of the Trexperts. Yeah. Um, and it was so great. It was so great to finally meet you in person. And he was um, he it, because of Mark, you're going to be able to listen to this podcast today because he recorded it for us. And uh, we're very grateful. And it was so great to meet him. And uh, he was everywhere. And and I, I couldn't believe it because, you know, obviously he just had a baby a couple months ago. So uh, this was a, a nice diversion for uh, him. It, and it was it, it, it might have been his wife who had the baby. But, yes, I understand what you mean. <laughs> yes, it was his wife who had the baby. Because he that looked in great shape after having had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that movie with the Arnold Schwarzenegger Jr.? Yes, I worked on it. Oh, did you? What, what did yeah. you do? What do you do? What do you do for that? I was a concept artist. I designed oh. the lab and I designed a bunch of stuff. Huh, I didn't know that. I, I didn't design uh, Arnold's baby bump, however. <laughs> you know, the more you listen to this podcast, the more you know. Oh, that's what they say on NBC. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I got to tell you, I've been thinking about something. I just, in all seriousness, you know, people were saying, people were saying they really liked in our New Voyages episode how we talked a little bit about New Trek because we really try and avoid talking about it that's for other people who you know are passionate and have a lot to say and right. you know people that we uh you know that have embraced a lot of these shows and want to sing the praises because uh, they're full-throated endorsement and uh or people like Rob Burnett, for instance who loathe it you know whatever but you know we we are about celebrating the love but i was thinking about something and I, it involves new track 
uh, one of the things that I bump on, and again, this is not, 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 this is not a violent criticism. It's more something I observed. I know a lot of people really love this character in Strange New Worlds is Ortegas, which is, uh-huh. of course, based on a character from the original Cage pilot that later on became... Well, uh, in, name, uh, in name only. Yeah, it became Tyler, you know. Right. Became, but, uh, Jose Ortega. Yeah, but the point I'm making, and I think the actress is wonderful and everything. I don't have a problem uh-huh. with the actress or the, the role. But what I do have a problem is it's something that's endemic to what uh, new Star Trek has done a lot, which is this kind of um, uh, a, a sarcasm and, uh, and 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 ignoring the captain and dim- diminishing the role of the captain by always having some snarky comment. Yeah. And I, 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 I really feel I think it's I think it's a generational thing because I think that for people like us that grew up uh, where Star Trek was really a military organization, yeah. you know, um, and where people were expected to shut the fuck up and listen to the captain because they had expertise, because they knew more. And you respected the chain of command. Now in Star Trek, you know, it's it's like the sewing circle where anybody can say anything and the captain sits there and smells. I, I, you know, it's interesting. I find that um, uh, Pike uh, refers to each character by their first name. Yeah. Right. Which I, I can't imagine a military organization. Hey, John. No. Can you, you know, uh, fly this jet? Hey, Bobby. You know, and it, it, I find it so odd. But I, I know that there are people who have, who just love it. Just love that. And and I just, I, I find, I think it's endemic of something larger, where in social media, every person of a certain age thinks their opinion means something. That right. they're entitled to, to, that expertise doesn't just matter. Just because of their presence. Just, just because they have an opinion. Yeah. That expertise doesn't matter. You know, that, that, that it doesn't matter if, say, for instance, a certain people... Uh, you know, have a doctorate and they know more about something than right. you do. You feel your opinion is just as valid as maybe that person. Right. And, and, and I, I see that it seeping its way into Star Trek. Clearly Captain Pike is the captain who's the most knowledgeable right. and the man with the greatest expertise. Well, or, whether or not he is or not, he is the captain. I just can't imagine people talking back to Janeway or Cisco or no. Kirk the way, and, and you, when you did, they were dressed down. It's yeah. like there's no room for bigotry on the bridge. Exactly. You know, it, it's like, but, uh, you know, it's just these snarky under your breath comments. And it, to me, it feels like social media. And, and, and it's interesting because somebody who got a lot of vitriol this week, um, the wonderful, wonderful, brilliant uh, Bill Shatner, uh, I guess when he was at Comic-Con, right. uh, made a comment. Uh, he was asked about what he thinks to Trek. And apparently his, his, his answer was something like, not much. It was uh, it was like Gene Roddenberry would be rolling over in his grave. And uh, he actually said, I know I knew Gene Roddenberry pretty well over three years and he would be rolling over in his grave. And I still think our show's the best. Great. He's entitled to feel that way. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. He's William Shatner. He's an opinion. And the amount of people spewing, you know, um, and tip. And it's funny. I read it. And the stuff that they said. Who makes Gene Roddenberry the arbiter of what is good and bad? He got fired, you know. Like, and again, a complete lack of knowledge about the yeah. history of Star Trek. A complete say, lack of listening to the Trexperts week well, by week. I, I mean, whatever you think of Gene, there is no Star Trek without Gene. Yeah. The man was a genius. He was a visionary, and I, that word gets thrown around a lot. And uh, you know, obviously, this is Bill Shatner's opinion. It's fine. I. You know, I mean, whether you agree with it or not, 
But to, to then, you know, say, oh, Shatner's opinion doesn't matter. He's ancient history. I mean, it's so silly. It's well, so absurd. It's it's the it's the it's something that my dad used to call creeping meatballism, which means that uh, everyone is considered equal and everyone is is uh, uh, is on the same level. And that's not true. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not true because there is something uh, to say for experience and knowledge and wisdom. Yes. And that is completely ignored now. And it is really frustrating and frightening, actually, because it's interesting that at the time the original series was made, obviously the uh, hippie culture uh, was uh, dressing down their elders. Uh, don't trust anyone over 30 and all that sort of stuff. But when they came into practice, all that was thrown out. So, you know, when, when they became 30, uh, you listen to them now. So it's, it's something that comes in each generation in a different flavor. And in this one, it's just a, a complete disdain for anything that is not them. Well, there's a complete disdain for hierarchy, as though that is yeah. inherently a bad thing. Now, Leonard Nimoy used to talk about Star Trek being a meritocracy, yeah. where the best and the brightest rose to the top. I think that's that's actually a very noble and good thing that the best yeah. and the brightest should rise to the top and, uh, you know, and ultimately command a starship, whether it's, you know, Kirk, Cisco, Picard, you know, Janeway. Um, yeah. But I, I, I got to tell you, if someone talked to me in my writer's room, the way that Ortega's talks to Captain Pike, they yeah. wouldn't be long for my show. That's correct. That, that's the reality. You know, there's a way to say things with respect. And there's a way to just be, you know, um, and believe me, I know a lot about sarcasm. I got no problem with sarcasm. But, yeah. you know, when you're in a crisis, the reason, you know, and I'm not an expert on the military by any means, right. but there's a reason the chain of command exists. And you, you, ha you know, that second that it takes you to make your snarky comment is the second that a Romulan plasma uh, is going to blow up your ship because you took the time to make some snarky comment rather than listen to what the captain tells you to do. And the constant discussions, you know, I mean, like, I, I, I mean, again, we grew up on Captain Kirk. Those are my orders. Right. Okay. Right or wrong. Yeah. You know, obviously Kirk would listen to opinions when he asked for them, when he asked for them, yeah. when he needed others input to help him make the decision. But his decision was final. And I, I, absolutely. And there's that great that the, the great line where he says, when this becomes a democracy, I'll let you know. But right. people think, oh, you know, this whole painting of Kirk, apparently people who only saw the movies, as this right. renegade, this guy who doesn't follow the rules. Well, unfortunately, you know, Anson Mount came up with that quote this past week that, uh, well, Kirk represented machismo. Really? No, he didn't at all. And he, he continues that, uh, you know, Picard uh, uh, represented uh, wisdom or something like that. It, it's just it's just a complete misunderstanding of everything. Captain Kirk, we all know, was JFK. Yeah, it was a highly elevated intelligence. Um, he was not a person. He was the opposite of machismo. I won't kill. Yes. Today. Yeah. Um. He, he, he was he was the description of restraint and thought and wisdom and uh, and being able to take information from around him to make a valid decision that he could stand by and question he, authority. On his own. Yeah. And question authority 
when it was warranted. Yeah. You know, it is not, you know, it is you I take lightly. Right. You know, and, and um, I, it's, there's such a, um, because, you know, a lot of people don't realize, I know this comes as a shock. The actors in these shows who, who get hired, you know, they audition, they're wonderful. They get hired. They're, they haven't been watching and immersed themselves in Star Trek the way a Star Trek fan has. Right. They watch a couple episodes. Oh, I'm playing this character that was on the show. I'm going to watch a couple episodes, but they don't understand. I mean, my God, somebody like, you know, Patrick, who's like, I finally got to have creative input into Star Trek. You know, just because you say the words doesn't mean you understand Star Trek. Right. You know, anyway, but um, I really, I I really worry. It's a big subject. And I think it's something that we should go into deeper at a later point. That's fine. And, but while we're talking about the, 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 the toxic cesspool that is social media, I have to say, we were uh, fortunate enough that a couple of weeks ago to have the wonderful Terry Metallis on the show. Yes. Uh, Terry was a terrific guest. And, you know, I've always said that I always go into any new Star Trek hoping for the best. Sure. Until I, until I see it. And then I have an opinion one way or the other. And he other. took a lot of risks being here. Oh, my, yes. So he came in and he uh, he really got me excited about uh, Picard season three. I really, I'm, I'll say it. I got really excited. And things I've heard subsequently got me more excited. So apparently... At the Star Trek uh, panel that they had at San Diego, they debuted a teaser, which had images of the Next Generation cast. Yeah. There's this wonderful image of Worf. Yes. As an older Klingon. Terrific. Uh, First of all, you're going to get Michael Dorn at his age. You want to have less prosthetics of the guy to make it easier for him. I thought this was so... He looked so badass and so cool, and and thank God looked nothing like those abominations in Discovery that were supposedly Klingons or Into Darkness. Just you know, it, was, it felt like Next Generation to me. Yep. You know, uh, thirty years later, whatever it is, and um, the amount of negativity towards this something as simple as the makeup, the prosthetics, it was unbelievable. Well, thank goodness I stay off of uh, social media for that kind of thing. Because I, I, I don't usually, but I was posting about San Diego and I was seeing some of this stuff. Right. And I, was, I, I honestly, I don't what are they saying? What is the basis of this? I, I, I have no idea. Why would anyone criticize it? It was it, it actually looks great. And I'm sure for Michael, you know, now is more of just a headpiece, you know, and goatee, more like the original. Yeah. Um, I'm sure he must uh, must be delighted. And I have to say. Terry has been out there engaging with fans. Everything he says is is amazingly encouraging about his approach. And everybody's saying, wow, the first two seasons were terrible. Why should we expect season three to be any different? Well, the fact is, this is a totally new enterprise. Now, this yeah. is that Terry he didn't have any control over the first and two. the third season. Often when shows are in their final season, they're handed over to somebody and nobody cares anymore. Right. right? So they you get that's when you get it's look at Enterprise season four. Right. Everyone was checked out. And look at what Manny Cotto got to do. Look at season three of Picard as Enterprise season four. And Terry Metalis is Manny Cotto. He basically got handed the keys to the kingdom. The rest of them walked away to look at the bright, shiny objects. Right. And he got to make the show he wanted to make. Now, whether it's going to be great or not, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Know. But, but the I, attitude is great. And, totally. and the direction that we've heard is great. And this is what you want to encourage. This is not somebody who's parroting the studio line. 
yeah. uh, you know, in, in, in press releases and just saying the stuff that they, they think people want to hear. He's out there engaging and talking and 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 clearly a, a, a passionate fan, as we learned from having him on the show. And listen, right. I've never worked with him. I don't know him from Adam. I just know that, you know, we had been um, approached by an associate, a friend of his about being on the show. I found him delightful. Don't know him, have nothing to do with him. And uh, I was I've completely won over, you know. And again, does that mean the show's going to be great? I have no idea. I don't know. I'm sure as hell going to watch it. Absolutely. Yeah. So at least the and, first episode. See how it goes. You know what? If I could sit through the episodes of some other Star Trek for the, uh, I can watch the whole season of this. But I, I still, I still am just absolutely, absolutely in love with For All Mankind. And um, I, I'm so thrilled to have seen that. You know, there was a Comic Con. I was supposed to see Ron. Didn't happen, uh, but uh, I got to get Ron to come do the show because um, absolutely, I want to talk to him from mankind. I've talked, we talked about Star Trek enough, but uh, he's such a great interview too. Well, and with Galactica, my God, it'd be the longest episode we ever did. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll have to see about that. This, but this is the kind of show for him because if there's somebody who like knows his Star Trek, it's uh, it's Ron Moore. And I've said on the show before, one of the great tragedies was the fact that. Uh, Paramount and Sony weren't able to make a deal for him to run um, run Star Trek. Uh, yeah. um, would have been, it would have been glorious. Okay. I got another. Can, I got one more thing to say. One before more we thing. I have one more bitching. This is, okay. I know this is, this is the, oh, they should call this Altman's bitching episode. But there are a couple of things. You Number know, 57. You know what? Normally, I'm not out there in, in, you know, in the crowd and social. You know, it's like because we were at Comic-Con, all this like I said, the cesspool was suddenly became apparent. Stirred to me. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Normally I'm, I'm here recording podcasts and working on my shows and doing my thing. So this is a chance for me to interact with people, which I love to do not. Um, so, okay. So the next thing is, you know, I just got my uh, mirror Spock from XO, uh, XO six. XO six. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess uh, the first five were not as successful. Right. So, um, Anyway, I saw, you know, uh, the, he's doing a great job. Clearly, this guy's super passionate. He's putting out these action pictures. But he said something today um, on the social interweb about, oh, well, you know, you should buy these TOS things now because this will be the last time anybody puts it out because they're not particularly um, good sellers historically. That is 110% wrong. And this is not because we love TOS. I will tell you factually, again, facts. TOS and TNG have been the only license that have been successful for That's Paramount correct. and CBS. Okay. That's correct. Everything else has been a disaster. Okay. A disaster. So actually, if you want to make money with a license, TOS and TNG are the way to go. And look, yeah. I, I'm someone who loves Deep Space Nine. Sure. But boy, if I had to put my money up for a decent Deep Space Nine thing, uh, I'm talking about for a company like a license. Right. Right. I wouldn't do it. No. No, there's just not enough people out there with the discretionary funds to spend on this stuff. Now, I'll tell you, if the X06 TOS stuff isn't doing well, it's because it's all stuff that's been released before. Right. Spock and Sulu. I mean, look, I love Sulu, but who cares, right? But their mere Sulu looks great. But I'm much more interested in the motion picture, yeah. uh, the Wrath of Khan, all this cool stuff that's never come out before. Right. Um, you know, it's like, again, it's like you have Mr. I, you know, It's sad seeing people online saying, well, I have my playmates and they're fine. No, they're not. They're not fine. They're not fine. These, well, just, are, these are works of art now. Yeah, yeah. They're very nice. I, I mean, look, I do have my playmates and they are fine in some cases. Like the Edith Keeler is great. 
the piece of the action. We have a whole case of piece of the action. I know. We got to deal with that. We, and now that you've moved, I'm sure you have no room for them. So I'm yeah. going to be able to take them off your hands. Um, <laughs> but um, but I, I was so annoyed by that. And again, facts. Yeah. Not, not bullshit. Facts. Teeth, not words. Teeth, not words. As, as, <laughs> as we heard the great movie Megaforce. So, I mean, this is definitely this is definitely turning into Altman kvetching episode. But these are some things on my mind after San Diego this week, sure. um, which was a wonderful time. Uh, and, and speaking of wonderful times, if you missed us at San Diego Comic-Con, guess who's coming to dinner? Not literally, because we're not at dinner with you. But um, it's Darren and I are going to Vegas at the end of August for the great Star Trek Las Vegas creation con. Yep. We're, we're going to be doing a couple panels. I don't know because they haven't told us what we're doing We don't know yet. yet. We don't know. Yeah. But we're going to be there along with Ashley Miller. Our, um, <laughs> it sounds like, you know, Cousin Oliver, as he keeps calling That's himself. Right. He wants to call himself that, be my guest. But um, but we're going to be there. And uh, we hope. Jumping the shark at Las Vegas. <laughs> well, no, and we hope we'll see you there. We're gonna, I know we're going to be doing something on Star Trek 2 because um, we, we, you know, this is the year to do it. 40th anniversary and all. Um, and speaking of Star Trek 2, we got a show for you right now. This is what we did in um, in San Diego. We did an, uh, a panel called uh, Can You Dig It? The Unmade Star Trek 2 Scripts. And we really focused on Sam Peoples' draft, right. um, which came on the heels of Gene Roddenberry's uh, misguided JFK time travel story and several other drafts. Right. I, if you will, indulge me, Mr. Sulu. I'd like to just read a, a brief excerpt from my book, The Fifth Year Mission, where I tee up the, um, the situation with the scripts. All right. So I'm, I'm just going to read this. When Hart Bennett first got involved, he had written a one-page story concept titled War of the Generations, which was presented to Paramount executive Gary Nardino in November 1980. A month later, it was expanded into an outline and then a script by Jack Sowards, which in turn would be continuously rewritten by him and Bennett. The War of the Generations involves Admiral Kirk taking command of the Enterprise to rescue a lost love from a rebellion on a distant Federation planet. In the process, Kirk is captured by the leader of the rebels, revealed as his own son, dun-dun-dun-dun, that I added, who sentences him to death. Before Kirk can be killed, the shadowy hand behind the rebellion is revealed, Khan Noonien Singh, and his band of eugenically bred superhumans on SETI Alpha 5. Khan's true intent is to capture a Federation starship, Shades of Star Trek V, and conquer the United Federation of Planets. Ironically, this is similar to an early unrealized concept for Star Trek Beyond. Um, in the end, Kirk and his son join forces to defeat Khan, leaving them in the coda together, boldly go where no man has gone before. So that is one of the early drafts of um, with Jack Sowards and Hart Bennett, which didn't turn out that great. And... Um, you know, and there were several versions that were developed featuring um, featuring um, Khan, including one in which uh, the Federation has ceased colonization of new worlds and Starfleet is solely tasked with protecting and developing the territories within its existing realm. On one such world, the society's youth is being coaxed to rebellion by a mysterious teacher. Do you have one guess who the teacher is? Hmm. And, and it's not Spock's Is it brain. Cybok? No. Aboard the Enterprise, Spock is killed at the very beginning of the film, attempting to shut down a damaged warp engine. After Spock's meaningless death, Kirk comes aboard the Enterprise, and upon examining 
Spock's personal logs realizes that Spock was attempting to re-engage with his emotions after his encounter with V'ger. Shortly thereafter, the Enterprise encounters a refugee ship with Diana, an old flame of Kirk's, with whom he had a son, unbeknownst to Kirk, but known to McCoy. Kirk arrives on the Rebellion planet and encountering his son and is blamed for the carnage, only to discover the mysterious teacher's identity, Khan Noonien Singh, who is able to marshal massive psychic abilities to manifest illusions, much like the Telosians in the cage around Kirk and David. In the next version, Janet Wallace was the love interest from the Delhi years. Right. And this went on and on and on. The Omega system introduced the Genesis planet, uh, the Genesis project, and it kept going on. But then Sam Peoples gets in the picture and he jettisons the one element that's cool. He says, oh. goodbye, Khan. Hello, Sojin and More, the Wonder Twins. So uh, that's where our panel kind of picks up. It was fun, wasn't it, Art, that panel? I, I had fun. I mean, I, I hope uh, everybody did. It's uh, it's fun to read those horrible scenes. Well, uh, but we're uh, about to uh, we're about to find out. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Okay, here we go. So now, without any further ado, it's Con. You dig it? The unproduced Star Trek Two at Comic Con 2022. Hello, this is Gene Roddenberry. Welcome to Gene Roddenberry's Hollywood Hot Tub. Well, I think the main thing is that if we're going to have a, a show called Gene Roddenberry's Hollywood Hot Tub, then at the very least we ought to have a, a hot tub. One of the great things about Star Trek is that uh, it tells us that human beings are really wonderful and they can accomplish anything that they put their minds to. Hello there, gentle beings. Please be sure and join us next week for another edition of Gene Roddenberry's Hollywood Hot Tub, where my special guest will be the great actor, Sean Connery. Now, you did say that there would be women in attendance to your uh, hot tub party, Gene. At this point, I don't see any. This is William Shatner. Here are some scenes from a picture we're all proud of. Star Trek II. Captain's log, start of 8130.3. Starship Enterprise on training mission to Gamma Hydra. Section 14, coordinates 228074. Approaching neutral zone, all systems normal and functioning. Leaving section 14 for section 15. Stand by. Project parabolic course to avoid entering neutral zone. Aye, Captain. Sensors indicate three point on crew. Easy. Bearing 316, mark four, closing back. Evasive action. Your protege is first rate. Trifle emotional. She is half Romulan, Jim. The admixture tends to make her more volatile than me, for example. Than you. Yes, I see that. On course to CD Alpha 5, all is well. Good. I believe you know David Marcus. Ah. She's learning by doing. God. 
you see is all that remains of the Botany Bay. My room here by Captain James D. Kirk. Order what order? Who's taking Genesis? Please help us. I know, but I can't. I try to warn you. Scientists are always the pawns of the military. We just kept the peace for a hundred years. I cannot and will not subscribe to your interpretation of this event. What if this thing we use where life already exists? It would destroy such life in favor of its new matrix. Are you by any chance in favor of these experiments? Logic suggests. Logic? My God, the man's talking about logic. We're talking about universal Armageddon. Still get those shields up. Trying, sir. They knew exactly where to hit us. Who? Who knew where to hit us? Why? He passes me and I shall have him. I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round tradition's flames. Fire! That's what uh, theater owners saw in 1981 to convince them that this was going to be an action-packed thing they should play in their theaters. What's so great about that show, West Real, is obviously there's footage that never made it into the movie, including the Savic line about Savic being half Romulan. Anyway, welcome to Glorious Trexperts Live. Um, obviously, we see now who's more popular, Bill Shatner or us. Clearly, we came out on the losing end, um, but uh, that's okay because we love Bill and we're glad he took our we love Bill audience. Too, and that's- um, um, I want to introduce you to our um, the Trexperts, obviously my co-host, the great Darren Docterman. Hi there. Can you hear me out there? Yeah, it's on now. Good. Good. I was afraid that uh, my mic was turned down again. And the recently knighted Trexpert, um, well, it's not really recent anymore. It's yeah, almost it's a year uh, since a, 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 he became a real boy. Uh, Ashley Miller. I like to think of myself as the uh, cousin Oliver of the uh, Trexpert. And we're very glad uh, to bring with to have with us um, a Star Trek Wrath of Khan super fan, super fan. Um, but more importantly than that, super he, fan. <laughs> he's uh, he, he's also the uh, uh, showrunner of um, Colony and. Um, he, the thing that he's doing? He's doing this little thing, this little thing for HBO, this little show. There's, there's like lizards in it. No, no, I think they, the flying things are, they're dragons. Dragons. And there's a house. The dragons have a house. house. A house of dragons. Playing a house with dragons. And he's the biggest Conan fan in the world. We should have had him on the 1982 panel. Yeah. We missed you for that one. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We're we're blow that. We're what is good in life? It's, it's Ryan Condal, who is the showrunner Hi. of the dragon. A little show that may be on the key card to your freaking hotel room, <laughs> as it is yeah. mine. Every time I, to- I go to bed, I think of Ryan. 
Since I'm new here, wow, that's loud. Since I'm new here, they, they insisted that I wear a red shirt, but I refused. <laughs> but you said we just sheared your head. That's right. Well, look at it. I'm not used to you. No, that's... Well, just remember, everyone in Star Trek Two is in a red shirt. That's what so true. show running through COVID it's, does to your hairline, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 40th anniversary of Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. And we thought it would be interesting to go back and look at how the movie we saw came to be, because it was a very troubled development history. You know, Star Trek II you know, almost didn't happen. You have Gene Roddenberry's original script in which the Enterprise, Captain Kirk meets JFK, um, which was just this crazy gonzo premise where the Enterprise goes back in time through the Guardian of Forever after the Klingons have changed the timeline. It crashes in northern Canada and is mistaken for a UFO by uh, a U-2 flight. And so um, Kennedy doesn't go to Dallas. Instead, he stays in the White House, and they've changed history. And um, it is this really bizarre Script. I mean, it was obviously Gene was so affected by the response to Star Trek: The Motion Picture. He 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 literally does a Mad Libs of Star Trek tropes. You know, the Guardian of Forever, time travel, Klingons, um, all, all all the you know the greatest hits. It's but just some, like Paramount Plus. <laughs> but somehow they don't really work. And um, I, one of my favorite lines yeah. in the treatment that Gene Roddenberry wrote was. Um, that uh, uh, Kirk found JFK arrogant. Um, and it's, it's, it's a bizarre, it's really bizarre. I'd like to think that Kirk and JFK would just sat around getting high, you know? <laughs> it would just like a very chill Star Trek film for two hours. Well, it was not to be, Cherie. Yeah. And so basically, Hart Bennett comes in at the behest of Paramount, you know, the famous line about, you know, could you make a, a Star Trek movie for less than $43 million? And Hart Bennett famously said, I could make five of them. So, um, <laughs> which ended up being not far from the truth. And, uh, and then he starts developing a bunch of scripts, which went through a lot of iterations. But one of the, the first things he, he did, not knowing much about Star Trek, was watched, imagine that, watched all 79 episodes to see what Star Trek was. And the first thing he gravitated to was this character of Khan as a villain. And they developed several scripts with Jack Sowards, um, who was a, a TV writer. And at one point, they felt they weren't getting where they needed to go with Jack Sowards. So they bring in Sam Peoples. Sam Peoples is not well known to Star Trek fans as the um, writer of Where No Man Has Gone Before. He also gave Gene a lot of advice um, initially, he, he gave a lot of his old sci-fi magazines to Gene Roddenberry when he was coming up with the idea for Star Trek. So Gene, uh, so Sam writes this thing called, what we have in our hands, The New Star Trek, Sam A. Peoples. This was, uh, draft was dated 824. Now, <laughs> Sam, in his infinite wisdom, decides, I'm going to keep most of what they developed, but I don't like this idea of Khan. I don't think they should have Khan as a villain. So he rewrites it and puts in these two, the Wonder Twins, I call them, Sojin and Moray, who are interdimensional beings who are like kings and queens in their other dimension. You might like it. Oh, and uh, they um, materialize and um, basically take over the Reliant, not unlike the movie we know and love, except uh, in command is um, Sulu and his first officer is Chekhov. So I got to ask you, Ashley, you read the script. Oh, oh yeah. 
what, what, you know, it's fascinating because, the, you, you know, there's so much there. You know, when Nick Meyer says, I took all the scripts they developed and in 11 days I wrote Star Trek II. And it's there, but it's awful. And yes. it makes you appreciate what Nick Meyer did all that much more. Yes. Tell me what your feelings were when you read it. Uh, gratitude and joy um, that, uh, that, that Nick Meyer had 11 days to spare. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a fascinating read because you're right. The, a lot of the scenes that you recognize are there in this very strange form that makes no sense. Um, and you can see what Nick Meyer did. You can see what, what the value that Nick Meyer saw in some of those scenes. Um, and then how he transformed them because he's just, you know, as, as, as writers go, he's a uh, superior life form. But what I find, you know, most interesting is there, there are notes in the margin of that script. And one of them is there's a scene, and you guys might remember this one from the movie, where McCoy goes to, to Kirk's apartment and they have the whole conversation about his birthday. And it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's one of the great Star Trek scenes. And look, the version of it that is, that is in the uh, Samuel <laughs> People's draft is not good. But uh, it, there's a note on every page of it that says possible cut. And what strikes me about that is that when Nick Meyer read it, he must have gone, we talk about it like he's dead, like we can't just call the man, but um, he must he have. He wouldn't remember. He wouldn't I've remember. asked him in the past, I said, you know, about, and he said, he literally says, the only thing I remember about those 11 days, you know, was just like being Back punched over my typewriter, you know, just trying to get it done. And he said, I have vague memories. It was funny. He said, I have vague memories of them standing on the bridge singing happy birthday to Spock in Vulcan. And I thought, okay, this is just Nick Meyer being theatrical. No, you know, this no, is no. Nick always takes a story and makes it, you know, more dramatic because he's a great storyteller. Well, no, that scene is actually in the script. <laughs> it's, it's in it. They, they couldn't use the happy birthday song, so they had to use that one that restaurants use. It's just, it's really bizarre. Uh, but no, what I, what I most appreciate about what Meyer did was he looked at that scene he recognized that there was something valuable and thematic sitting in the heart of that scene. That in many ways, like the Kirk's entire emotional journey was summed up in that scene. And he saw the good version of it in a scene that didn't work. And not only that, he, he saw the, a value to it that the original writer didn't understand, which to me is always fascinating. Um, when, I, when I see stuff like this. I also kind of wonder a little bit about um, how much time Sam Peoples had to write this draft because it, it reads like a first draft. Now, admittedly, in 11 days, you're writing a first draft um, if you're Nick Meyer, but uh, it's, it's, it's a very odd, it's a very, very odd. So is the thinking that this, this draft is the one that immediately proceeded? So they, because they developed a bunch of stuff, right? And then this, this was the last one before. I think there was one more after this that Harv, because Harv Bennett did a, a couple of drafts, which were also because Harv Bennett constantly wanted to be the guy writing it, but they weren't good enough. Because, you know, he did write for TV. He wrote right. for, and, he, you know, he ended up writing Star Trek III. Um, uh -huh. but, and he constantly wanted, but when he, he rewrote this and, and the studio would not greenlight it. That's why they were so desperate to get Nick. They needed somebody, but they didn't have any money, development money left. So Paramount was gonna kill the movie because in order to have um, the special effects done for their release date, and sound familiar, they needed to start <laughs> on a certain date. Right. So um, they told, it's a weird story. Um, the assistant to Bob Salen said, you know, 
Karen Moore is a development exec here at Paramount on this project, and she's best friends with Nick Meyer. Nick Meyer did this movie that wasn't a huge hit, but it was a good science fiction movie called Time After Time. Maybe he'd want to do it. Karen Moore goes to Nick Meyer, and Nick Meyer says, I don't want to do that thing about the guy with the ears. It's beneath, you know, basically saying it's beneath him. And she says, well, you know, to call yourself a director, you need to direct. So he's like, okay, fine. Goes and meets with Bennett, lights Harv Bennett, decides he's going to do the movie. And he says, okay, well, you know, can, do you have a script I can read? Harv Bennett never sends him a script because they don't have a good script. He's like, where's the script? He says, well, we don't have any that are really good. And, you know, I, I think we're going to have a problem because... Um, we have to have this done in 11 days. And it was like, what are you talking about? It's like, yeah, they're going to pull the plug on the movie unless there's a script in 11 days. So Nick says, send me all the scripts you have. And he rewrites the whole thing in 11 days, never gets any credit, doesn't get paid for it, just to make it a green light so that they can do the movie, which is always why like people in this business are always like, well, we need a contract. We need to, you know, I need to know how much I'm getting paid. Well, that movie would have never happened if Nick Meyer hadn't done that. He wouldn't have a career that he had. So sometimes you just got to say, especially early in your career, you know, I'm just going to do whatever it takes. And I'm not going to, like, worry about all these other things. And, you know, that's how things don't happen in this town. So it's amazing that he did it. Yeah. It's an incredible script. Um, and the, here's an excerpt from a not incredible script. Page 63, Darren, if you will. This is the aforementioned Spock's birthday scene. Where do we want to start here? From group shot? Okay. Sure. No, I would go low. I would, I would start with the, they all look expectantly toward the main doors. All right. They all look expectantly toward the main doors. Main doors, Spock. The big doors slide apart, and Commodore Spock stands there, looking into the darkened bridge. He is surprised and puzzled, both not logic. The bridge, the lights blaze, all screens light up, and on the main screen is the message, Happy Birthday, Mr. Spock, in both computer-styled English and in Vulcan glyphs. Spock, he stiffens, holding in the doorway. Group, all the crew, old and new, begin to sing Happy Birthday to you in Vulcan. Chapel comes up and really kisses Spock, which sends his slanted eyebrows up, and for a moment brings a somewhat silly grin to his face, quickly erased. Why, Mr. Spock, you're more human than I thought. Then in his bones, seizing his hand, he does not kiss Spock. Happy birthday. We didn't know how many candles to light. We didn't want to start a conflagration, now, did we? Thal Arctos comes up, pushing a null G cart loaded with oddly shaped bottles and glasses. Everyone takes a glass of liquid, many colors. And Kirk takes two, hands one to Spock. Everyone, Mr. Spock! And they raise their glasses. Kirk, happy birthday, Spock. They all drink, and Spock once more quickly brushes something from one cheek before drinking two. Speech, Mr. Spock, speech! This as through the parted crowd floats the null gravity plate holding the confectionery replicate of the Enterprise. Again, Spock's marble face creases as he smiles, 
and this time he doesn't instantly ban the expression, but lets his eyes seek out and touch one by one his old companions. Thank you, my friends. There is almost, not quite, a catch in his breath as he says the last two words. Kurt looks at Spock, smiling, then sobering. Spock's reaction has not only touched him, it has surprised him too, somehow. Spock is still smiling, and he looks at Kirk. It is a Vulcan concept that maturity and growth are but two aspects of the same phenomenon. The years of a man bring many changes, a time of youth and excitement and love, and a time of maturity, of achievement, and of farewells to yeah. those who must go their own ways. And speaking of youth, uh, the B story about McCoy is fascinating in that he's wrestling with whether or not to marry his young nurse who he thinks he's too old for. I mean, it's just it's awesome. I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't they making this right, right now? <laughs> now? I want to point out two things about that section. First of all, you may be asking yourself, Who's Thal Arctos? <laughs> Don't worry your pretty little head about it. Uh, Thal Arctos is a genetically engineered polar bear man. Yeah, I know I said that. The, the second thing that I want to point out... and He's and like Mark, Mr. Eric's with fur. With fur. He's a big, hairy, wharf guy, but he's like a polar bear. Um, he'll like, if, you're, if a toddler falls into his cage, he'll eat it. Uh, Mark pointed out, this was page 63. All right, so I just put up... On page 63, a freaking Star Trek II, halfway through the movie, mm -hmm. an hour in, an hour in, when you should be like, hey, it's like, you know, feed them static. It, there's a, we pause for a birthday party. On page 63. Well, Ashley, it was his birthday. <laughs> what would Shit. you like them You're to right. do? <laughs> when would you like to celebrate the birthday? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. And, and it just shows you how smart Meyer was. He puts the idea of Kirk feeling old at the beginning of the movie, establishes that. So we know that Kirk is feeling that he, maybe he's past his sell-by date, that he's feeling old and worn and used. So now when we find out what Project Genesis is, life from lifelessness, and we get to the end, you know, spoiler alert, you know, life in the shadow of death, um, it all makes sense. We establish the theme, we establish the personal stakes for um, Kirk. This is like, it's Spock's birthday, and McCoy isn't sure if he should marry this young nurse that's too young for him. And this is, you know, it's, it's so clumsy. And to add insult to injury, David Marcus has a young a robot on regular one. It's adorable. It's a little cute robot. And it's like, why wouldn't he? Somebody saw Star Wars and said, let's give David Marcus, and this is called David Baxter, a cute robot on regular one. So instead of Wakamin, Wakamin? What, 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 Benu? Yeah, so he has a cute, a cute mm -hmm. robot. So, um, but I think what really uh, is shocking is it does have the death of Spock, and yet Spock has nothing to do in this movie other than have a birthday. He has a great and die. But he, he, he's on, when Kirk is on his away team mission with McCoy, Spock is like standing on the bridge basically doing nothing the whole movie until the end where he sacrifices himself to stop. It wasn't to stop the Genesis wave. It was like some wave so they could stop Sojin and Moray who had an advantage because they, it was like the alternative factor. Yeah. Like they're from another universe. Yep. It was so bizarre. But now, but I know who Sojin is. 
But is the other one when the moon hits your eye with a big pizza pie? That's the horn. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you were going to say, Ryan? No, I was going to say, it's interesting that, I mean, it was a coup at the time to kill off a main character like that at the end of the script, but it's interesting that that preceded the final movie. That wasn't something that somebody brought in at the end. Was that because, because famously sort of Nimoy wanted to be done with Star Trek, right? Was that, was that the idea that that had carried through all of these drafts and they were trying to give him an exit? Yeah. A lot of the early drafts, because after Star Trek, the motion picture, um, Leonard was still upset about the fact they cut his scene tears, um, for us. Uh, no, you know, for, for his birthday party uh, for V'ger, you know, um, his birthday, he got his birthday party. <laughs> so he was still upset about Star Trek motion picture and he was upset about, um, a lot of things. I'm yeah. only going to do it if you kill me off and give me a birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> so in the early drafts, they kill Spock pretty early. You know, they, th- they thought it would be like Janet Lee and Psycho, spoiler alert, um, and kill him. It was him a shower him. scene too. And, and, and then Gene Roddenberry leaked the fact that Spock was going to die. And so it was kind of like, well, that's, you know, cats out of the bag. So they end up deciding, oh, we're going to kill him at the end. But what Nick did that was so smart was they kill him in the simulator, you know, during the Kobayashi Maru. So you think, ah, okay, so this is all, it was a fake death. They faked us out. Spock's not really going to die. And then you can sort of sit in your chair and enjoy the movie. And at the end, they kill Spock, which was really, really Clever. The Kobayashi Maru, though, in this version is ridiculous. Oh, it's totally ridiculous. So, okay, so what's cool about the Kobayashi Maru test is not the opening scene um, or even, you know, Bones pointing to, to Kirk and saying, you know, Cadet, you're looking at, like, the, you know, the one person in Starfleet who actually beat the Kobayashi Maru, right? And then the punchline. What's great about it is the punchline, right? That Kirk cheated, spoiler alert that he changed the conditions of the test. Um, and it gives that opening a, a resonance in the film that's, uh, that's really fantastic. It kind of, it goes to um, so much of the theme, right? It's, it, it, it ties together the idea of, of age, of feeling useless, of needing to have a purpose, of all of these things. So just come back to Kobayashi Maru. The entire scenario is Kobayashi Maru. What did you think of my solution, right? It's like, it's all in there. Um, but in this version, they, like, they do a, I'm not making this up, okay? Like, don't look at me like that. Like, they actually do a playback of how Kirk won. Now, I want to point out that apparently when Kirk was a cadet, everybody on the Enterprise bridge crew was like, I guess, in his class? Which, come to think of it. Um, it, it but they play back his solution, which has something to do with their three Klingon battle cruisers. Kirk accelerates the Enterprise in between them. They all open fire, and then he, like, speeds away. And, so it's like, the Picard maneuver. It's the Picard maneuver, except it's not like this. Um, and it's just, and it's like, see? You see how brilliant he is? It's like, the script goes to such lengths to, it, it's like it's using the scene to establish that Kirk is competent and he knows what he's doing. The audience doesn't need that to be established. We've seen the show. Yeah, we've absolutely seen the show and we believe it by just how people deal with Kirk. Just in the same way, I think that the happy birthday scene exists because it was, well, we need to give Spock a, a goodbye and hit the theme and all this other stuff. It's just, you know, writing 101, like why are you doing that other than you're, you're telegraphing things? But it's just... The Kobayashi Maru scene is, is not good. It doesn't have any resonance. It, it doesn't come back. But it's there. It's a weird 
version of it. But you know, it's interesting. I mean, in a way, it's a little ahead of its time because uh, Savik takes the Kobayashi Maru in this and Kirk is really mean to her. And so she quits because she doesn't like the way that Kirk talks to her. And, uh, and then, so she quits, she, she's resigning from Starfleet. And then he's like, no, no, I thought you did great. You got an 83 and you know, I just, you know, this is the way this works. And sometimes like we're hard on people, but I think you're gonna be a great captain. Why are you quitting? And she's like, okay, I won't quit. And it was like, oh my God, are you millennial? What's going on? <laughs> right. So um, it was so, so crazy, um, that whole scene. And, um, you know, the Savic Romulan thing is, is even Savic, there's no point for her. No. She, she has nothing to do. Um, and, you know, she's such a great character in Star Trek II. And, you know, it's like Kirk realized he, he has a lot to learn from her and she listened to her. And, uh, but in this, it's like, I don't know what her point is. No, nobody has a point. And it, again, back to theme, right? So um, in this version of the movie, McCoy is wondering if he should get with, you know, a, a younger doctor. Okay. And I guess that's the aging theme and, and Spock has a birthday party. And I guess that's the aging theme. But it's awful. And but it's awful. But, but Darren, with, oh, sorry. I was just with the, um, with the final film, Savic having things to teach Kirk is also on theme, right? It's, oh, youth has something to offer me. Like beyond just, you know, the fact that I was, I was young and that was a, a better time to be bombing around a galaxy. And it, it's just, it's a testament to how good Nick Meyer is that he managed to pull all of those things together um, and, and make them, make them sing. Well, and, and you know, the whole thing with Kirk and, um, you know, he's almost like a stalker with Carol Marcus in this. And it's very un uncouth. Like in Star Trek II, he, you know, he realizes, he regrets, he has this ennui over what he gave up. Um, but in Star Trek... The new Star in Trek. In the new Star Trek, Kirk is like, you know, like calling her about like really serious stuff, like Genesis has been stolen and stuff. But, you know, really, you think we can get back together? You know, yeah. it's like, it's like this jilted thing. And then... And then there's this whole thing where she confronts him about David, who hates him. David almost kills him in this draft. And, um, and then, she, you know, he's, he, she explains to him, you know, David's your, your son. And he's like, what? <laughs> and he's like, why didn't you tell me? And she says, well, because I was selfish and I wanted him to myself. And he's like, what? <laughs> and then David finds out. And then David's really mad at Carol and mad at Kirk and mad at everybody. And yeah, the way to imagine it is, imagine all of your favorite beats in the movie and then reverse the emotional and thematic charge of each and every one. And you'll understand what the experience is. But, but don't worry, we're, 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 we're gonna stop talking about what's bad about Star Trek II. And I, I do wanna, on the 40th anniversary, talk about why we love it and why we keep coming back to it. But before we do that, there are two key scenes. One, the aforementioned McCoy scene, and I also would love to maybe read the death scene as well, if, if, if we're all emotionally steeled to deal with the drama of it all, so. So this is the uh, scene between McCoy and uh, Sorbio, who is the uh, younger uh, doctor. Close on lab table and holographic generators, Sorbio is setting up the device and Bones is watching her. His expression is somewhat troubled. She glances up at him and smiles as the convoy speaks. It seems there are new orders. She crosses to a communicator and touches a key. Medical section reporting. All supplies received and stored. All facilities checked and ready. A green light goes on the panel and Sophia looks at Bones. She smiles, crosses back to the lab table, finishes setting up the holograph, 
She activates it on the table, appears the three-dimensional image of an alien life form. It is pinkish, standing very still, its reddish nose wriggling slightly. So far, it's porky pink. Um, <laughs> its white eyes moving complacently as it chews on a plant stem. It is not unlike a Terran guinea pig, uh, providing that a guinea pig could live underwater on a dense atmosphere planet and had both gills and webbed feet. So, not like a guinea pig at all. Not like a guinea pig at all. The Altarian Glibvik. Glibvik? Glibvik. Is an Aquarian mammal. Oh, so it's not Gemini. Uh, possessing both lungs and gills, as well as both male and female genitalia. Sounds confusing. Despite this oddity, the Glibvik is not unisex, but mates with chosen specimens, most commonly the eldest member of the family group, or Ninoid. She smiles at bones. This is riveting. The mating of young females and older males is also practiced by many Terran societies. Bones says, Yes, but uh, I don't think that's uh, relevant. During the Glyndig mating period, when the young mammals reach the mature stage, sometimes the older one fails to respond to the advances of the younger. When that happens, the Glyndig is forced to look beyond the Nynor for uh, very good beauty, but uh, I think it's time for you to report to the bridge. Servile nods slowly. She touches the hologram generator, and the odd little underwater mammal vanishes from the table. She looks across at Bones. Is that all, Dr. McCoy? He looks into her eyes and hesitates, is almost flustered. Beauty, I... Yes, I think that's enough for now. There's something that must be said. While my family and upbringing are traditional, we are aware that customs vary and change. It is not necessary that I... We. Marriage is not essential, Dr. Leonard McCoy. Any relationship that you. McCoy straightens, meeting her eyes evenly. I'm an old fashioned man in some ways, Lee. I believe in marriage, not unsanctioned relationships. That's why. Again, he stops, shakes his head, she smiles. I will report to the bridge, Dr. McCoy. She passes him closely. And Bones closes his eyes. Then she's gone, the lab door closing behind her. Bones looks after her, then turns, moves across the lab. He is facing a large mirror on one wall. He studies himself in it, his lined, worldly face, the touch of gray in his hair, and shakes his head. You're a damned old fool, Bones McCoy. Well, in another, in a, a, another well universe. Well done, Darren, well done. In, in another universe, this movie was made. And that was the end of Star Trek. It was yeah. done. There was no more Star Trek after this movie. I, I have a question for Ashley, though. Yeah. Does the Altarian Glibvik scratch your uh, theme itch over there? Oh, yeah. She was sure. landing on pretty thick there. I mean, she really was, right? But you know what? It really is being laid on really thick. It's, the, that, it's like that entire scene is just constructed. The, the, um, the, the, the freaking guinea pig? Yeah. The, the Aquarian guinea pig? Um... <laughs> It's like, it's it was, like it they, was, he just discovered the word metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just, it's tailor-made. It's just, it's so, oh, it hurts a lot. It hurts a Bonk, lot. bonk on the head. Yeah. Well, and, and, and if that's not enough for you, because not only does David have an R2-D2 robot, um, or it's not even R2-D2, it's what, what was the JJ have in the sequels? That little guy? It was more like that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it was ridiculous. So, so. The, Spock comes back. I guess I can't spoil a script that was never made. No. Spock comes back as a force ghost after he's dead. After he's dead, 
Shatner, Shatner, Kirk is in his quarters, you know, really upset because they just carried Spock away on a gurney and it's not looking good to sick bay. And he's wondering if Spock's going to make it. And then all of a sudden Spock shows up in his quarters and they have this heart to heart. And he's like, oh, I'm so glad you're all right. And then McCoy comes in looking really, you know, morose. And he's like, he's gone. And, and Kirk's like, what are you talking about? He was, just, he was just here. And he looks over and he's gone. Just like Lucy in the sky with diamonds. And, um, and, and, and he realizes that Spock was never there and he's, he's, he's dead. And it was like, I mean, I, I like, I'm just, I couldn't believe what I was reading. I know. But I, did he go to the Dagobah system? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dagobah system? Well, it's interesting because they did fight in the Mutera Nebula. So again, it's just like hmm. when you think this can't get any more ridiculous and suddenly there's like, oh, Mutera Nebula. Okay. Oh, okay, well, this went into the Mad Libs. Well, it's also interesting <laughs> that, um, that, you know, that people's made the decision to name, to rename Khan after a really delicious Korean alcoholic beverage. And um, like kept SETI Alpha 6 and SETI Alpha 5. <laughs> right, yeah. Right? Didn't change that part. Um, it's just... Well, you can't change that because that's in the original show. Right. Yeah, but there's no con. There's so no they con. find Soji and Mori on SETI Alpha 5. Well, sure. It was like 2020, there was no con. Sorry. Too soon? Okay. Come on. They can't all be gold. <laughs> okay, well... <laughs> I liked it. Darren, be, before we turn to uh, why we love Star Trek II, <laughs> if you'll just read, if you, you have it in you, on page 152. 152, good lord. Okay, okay. For those of you who are writers, you know, this is insane. Okay, this is Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, I mean, 152, it's like, you know, Remember Star that scene where Lawrence of Arabia, like, saw that, uh, that Terran guinea pig? <laughs> All right. I was in the Turkish prison. 152. Maybe midway through. Midway through. Another angle, a shadow moves across the comm screen, which goes dark. Kirk turns slowly to face Mr. Spock. Spock is normal in appearance, no sign of the radiation, the burns. He smiles. He is, in this moment, more human than we have ever seen him before. Kirk is stunned, staring at him, then suddenly smiling. Spock. You're all right. You don't know how much I... I know how much you hate human emotions, Spock, but damned if I can help it. Tears roll down Kirk's face. Spock's smile remains warm, sympathetic, human. I understand, Jim. I've always understood. You have. And how many, many times I've wished I could teach you reach you, make you feel what I was feeling. Why didn't you let me know? Spock continues to smile. My ways are not yours, Jim. There are things we cannot share, journeys we must make alone. Ouch. I, I don't understand you, Spock. For me, as a Vulcan, Jim, there are no endings, just beginnings. A renewal of self and I think now they're returning. Spock, I... There's a sound at the door behind him and Kirk turns, camera moving with him away from Spock. Bones enters the room and closes the door behind him. He looks at Kirk, his face anguished. He's... He's gone, Jim. Why didn't he say he's dead, Jim? <laughs> Very close on Kirk. He doesn't understand. The words don't penetrate. Then he shakes his head and grins. You pick a strange time for a joke, Bones. 
close two shot favoring Kirk. Bones holds there, meeting his eyes evenly. Spock's gone, Jim. I did what I could, but Kirk's grin dies. He stares, bewildered. But that's crazy. I was just... He turns toward where Spock was standing, but Spock is gone. The quarters are empty, save for Bones and Kirk. Kirk holds there, riveted erect, stunned. Bones moves to a cabinet, opens it, pours two drinks into glasses. He carries them back to the silent, stricken Kirk, pushes one glass into his hand. To Spock, Jim. So I know it's a little unfair to look at a script that's a work in progress. You know, none of us would like that, but I think 41 years we've run past the statute of limitations on having a little fun with an old script. But I want to turn to what we love to finish, what we love about this movie so very much and why 40 years later we still talk about it and with such reverence. So, Ryan, this is this, you're not the Star Trek fan we are, but this movie is very special to you. I wonder if you can tell us sort of about discovering it and what it means to you. Yeah, I mean, I love Trek. I, I grew up on Next Gen, so I, I lived kind of in that world. And uh, for me, it was more the the Kirk and Spock movies versus the original se- series. But I just I just love this this uh, this film. I think as a writer because uh, it's such a brilliant sequel, and I I love the fact that they went back and found a villain from 15 years earlier from the original series, but didn't just have him show up again, you know, in time with like a new a new plan or a new mission. They actually let that story continue in the time pass and the, you know, the fury that Khan had for being abandoned there. And he had, he had grown and evolved and his anger had, had, had built up. And, you know, all the things that Ashley talked about too, that the way they pull theme into it and Kirk has gotten older and he's dealing with mortality and, and, you know, Spock is dealing with mortality and then does so literally at the end of the film. And I just love how all those things come together. I mean, Star Trek can be a somewhat of a cerebral uh, and cold world at times, uh, particularly with all the Roddenberry rules. Whereas this this film is really uh, visceral and emotional, and it and it and it and it, it it does all the great things that Star Trek does. It doesn't just become an action film for action film's sake, but it pulls in all of the great adventure and emotion that I think you know exists in in Star Wars and other kind of you know space adventures. Um, and it's just it's uh, it's brilliant from beginning to end. I mean, it's really the economy of that of that story. Every scene. Matters. Every scene moves the for- story forward. Every scene pa- plays the theme, and and just I mean, this is the best villain in Star Trek history, and that's why. And it, it threads the needle really well because you, you know certainly giving Spock a, a Kirk an illegitimate son, particularly in 1982, was very daring, and yeah. you know it potentially yep. could you know reflect badly on the character of Kirk. But I don't think there's anyone who saw that movie who felt like, oh, you abandoned your child, you're you're a jerk, you know. Yeah. They, they, I think they, there's such a, uh, you know, it's and it was so um, ballsy of Shatner to play a character that's aging that needs glasses and, fla- and flawed and and mm-hmm. you know and and had an illegitimate son and and I mean you don't see that with with hero characters uh, a lot and you know the, 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 again I think in that it. it it, it gives depth. It gives an everyman quality to, to Shatner and gives depth, or to Kirk and gives depth to the movie. Yeah, it's great. Rathacon is pretty good. Uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> we like it. You know, it's funny because the description of Spock going into the chamber and, you know, get the. It, it's very much the way Nick Meyer filmed Star Trek II. And it, it's so weird that that's what he took from this. Because actually, what he's doing in this. 
um, is very specific to what's happening in the script. And, and I always kind of had a problem with that little room that we've never seen before and the way he's- where Spock mixes matter and antimatter with his bare hands. Yeah. No, he had the oven mitts on. Oh, that's right. <laughs> the oven mitts. And it's funny because that literally is described, you know, here, but he's doing something completely different. He's creating like this thing this, that's going to take, allow them to fight these uh, aliens in another universe. I mean, I don't know what the hell. But um, for you, I mean, Darren, Star Trek motion picture holds a very special place in your heart. Obviously, okay. congratulations again on that magnificent job you and the team did on the director's edition. Thank you. We didn't, you know, for those of you who know, Darren was the visual effects producer on the Star Trek, uh, the motion picture director's edition, which came out on Paramount Plus early this year and is and coming it's out. coming out in September, September 6th, uh, everywhere. Yeah, so on, on great. physical media. So support You it. can touch it. So, so you know, so for you, you, can touch it. you know, you love Star Trek motion picture, but you also love Star Trek 2 in a very different way. I also love Star Trek 2. Uh, I don't love the direction that the movies went after that, but I love Star Trek 2 because it is a continuation of the story. And it, we actually follow the actors and the characters at their real ages, and we get to deal with those questions that they have at those ages. And I think it's, it's really good. It's not just lip service to the fact that uh, Kirk shouldn't be out there, that uh, space, uh, ga you know, gallivanting around space is a game for the young, because uh, it is, and this movie shows that it is, and uh, it nearly destroys him, and that's what's so great, that he has to deal with these problems, uh, you know, has to put on his glasses, uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's really touching to see uh, the great performance by Shatner in here. I mean, I, I think that he is great in all the films, but this is a very, very subtle, and uh, yeah, I know he yells Khan, but that's, that's just a, a, an emotional break in the story to, to uh, stretch things out a little bit. Um, but his performance and his subtle ways of dealing with Spock and McCoy and with uh, uh, both doctors, Marcus, um, is really well done. And he's great in it. Uh, Nimoy is great too. Um, and it's but it's so good to see these characters uh, dealing with each other in such a real manner because it, it feels real. It feels like this is the way it would happen if they were put in this situation. Yeah, you know, I want to ask you, Ashley, because you ask a Star Trek fan what their favorite Star Trek is, and some people say Star Trek two, four, six. You know, some crazy people say three even. But you know, there's always different, different, different first contact. People say all these different things. Um, but I think if you ask a non-Trek fan, um, there was a time where they say Star Trek Four. I don't find that as much now. Mm -hmm. Everyone seems to say Star Trek Two. Why do you think that is that this resonates so much, not only for Star Trek fans, but even for non-Star Trek fans? Um, I think a great story is just a great story. Um, and weirdly, for a film that takes part of its premise, uh, an episode of a television show that you can't guarantee that, that everyone in the audience has seen, right? That you have to go back, like as you said, like 15 years to, to pluck this character out of obscurity, right? Even given that, everything you need to know about this movie, you learn in this movie. Um, it has real emotional resonance because it takes the time to establish Kirk um, in, a, in an emotional place that we can fully understand. 
Um, every single theme, every single scene, every single action scene is, they're all on theme, right? They're, they, they all have some emotional value. It's, everything about this movie is about consequence. It's about aging. It's, you know what, 15 years ago, you left that man sitting on a planet and now he hates you because of what happened. 15 years ago, or longer, frankly, 20 years ago, um, you had a son and you never saw him again and now he hates you, right? 20 years ago. All of these things- You have co-stars and they they hate hate you. you. Right, (laughs) all these things that you did, they've come back now and they're here and you have to deal with them and you can't cheat your way out. And we see it again and again. You go right on quoting Starfleet regulations. You know, um, the fact that he reprograms the Reliant is not lost on me, right? That he uses his solution for the Kobayashi Maru but he barely escapes with his life. Well, I mean, he's so smart, yep. and he can admit where he made a mistake. It's like when Savic calls him out, and he's a little curt with her. But then later on, he says, "You know, you keep on going curt with her." Yeah, you keep on, you know, quoting regulations. We're getting the because he knows that he has made a mistake. So, my question for you, my last question for you, is: what, When you look back at this film, like, do you have what's your favorite moment? Like, what's your what's your favorite scene in the in the movie? Uh, I was haunted as a child by the eels. I think uh, I think that that image got into my brain, like, like an eel. Yeah, they crawled in. There. Uh, That's in here too. Sulu and Chekhov got taken over by the SETI eels from, but they're interdimensional SETI eels. That's right. But no, I think it's going to be the climax with uh, with with you know uh, uh, Khan and and and, uh, and Kirk, you know, going going tete a tete with with each other. Um, that's got to be it because it's everything builds to that moment, and I love the fact that they're not even in, they were n- never even in the same room together, right? Absolutely. And, how, and, how audacious is that? Yeah, it's incredible. Could you imagine writing something where you know your you know your protagonist and your antagonist are never in never the same never? Room yeah, together? I mean, I try to think of another film that that exists, but no, I mean, Lord of the Rings, maybe, but <laughs> the Truman Show. There you go. <laughs> well, no, at the end, Truman shows up and it's all his room. Harris. Yeah. Her. No. Okay, there is no other one. <laughs> well, listen, it's been such a, a great time, you know, walking down memory lane, talking about Star Trek. I'm sure a lot of you are already familiar with the podcast and listen to it regularly. Miguel, thank you for those kind comments that you made before um, the uh, podcast. But you can follow us at, uh, obviously, listen to the Glorious Podcast every week. Um, Glorious Trexperts, not the Inglorious Podcast. That's it. But it's Inglorious. Totally different. And totally uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Inglorious Trexperts. Um, Ryan is going to be doing a panel on his uh, little show, House of the Dragon, on Saturday at 11 o'clock. Uh, so you should check that out. If you've seen the trailer, it's freaking amazing. Uh, so uh, check oh, that out. You. And then we have our writing panel at the same time. So yeah. uh, again, it's sort of a Sophie's Choice like this. Shatner or the Inglorious Trexperts? I don't know. House of the Dragon or the Showrunners panel? I don't know. I think I'd go to House of the Dragon if I wasn't on I the panel. So, um, and, uh, and, and of course, my John Wick panel tomorrow. I hope you'll join us. I got a new book out called They Shouldn't Have Killed His Dog. And it's up against Keanu Reeves. That's the weird part. What is going on? I got a Star Trek panel against Shatner. I got a John Wick panel against Keanu. They know how to schedule him. <laughs> it's killing me. But anyway, it's so good to see all of you. It's so great to be back at Comic-Con after three years. And um, hope to see you again at one of our panels later this weekend. And Starship Smackdown to 20th anniversary edition on Sunday. Right. Closing it all out. Everybody see you there. Good. Yeah, nice. Good. That was fun. Hey, we're back. There it was. There was the panel. See, see what I told you about those scenes? They're awful.
Hey, I forgot to mention that Ryan Condell was on that panel. That's right. Well, you know, you, you mentioned him during the panel itself. So that that's up. That makes up for it. I did. How great was Ryan, you know, uh, basically debuting House of the Dragon this week at Comic-Con. He's always fun to talk to and very proud of him about uh, House of the Dragon. So great. So great. I won't see him for the next seven years. I have a feeling he's going to be very, very busy with his House of the Dragon, which I hope, uh, you know, uh, gets embraced the way it deserves to be. And he doesn't have to deal with all this social media derision that uh, without people having actually seen it. Well, who knows? People are crazy. Well, he wrote a brilliant, brilliant um, script for Amazon for Conan, the Barbarian TV series, which didn't happen, which I think was a big part of him getting uh, uh, House of the Dragon. In addition to the fact that he um, had won over the great George R. R. Martin. And speaking of George R. R. Martin. Speaking of George R. R. Martin. We had a lovely dinner uh, Saturday night at Comic-Con. Uh, at which George R. R. Martin was in um, in in appearance, and and, and uh, I love the fact that it was it was Ashley Miller's son's birthday, right? So we we got to mention we're now going to sing Happy Birthday to you in Vulcan, uh, referencing our own panel, and Darren actually did it. <laughs> that was hysterical. It's uh, no, it's fun, and I I actually got to talk to uh, George R. R. Martin a little bit about Star Trek of all things, and uh, it was fun to uh, uh, throw back a few words with him. Well, of course, he's really good friends with Melinda Snodgrass, absolutely, who wrote The Measure of Man and was a writer, a story editor on um, the show second and third season. And it's interesting because Melinda was one of the few people who was a big Maurice Hurley fan who didn't like Michael Piller which is right. the opposite of the way most people felt. So we got to have her on the show one of these days. Absolutely. She'd be great. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because remember, I'm retiring after season five. Right. So we'll we, got a, we got a lot to do next next year. Uh-huh. A lot to do. Because I've announced my retirement. Right. Good luck with that. Officially. Uh-huh. I am. I'm, 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 this is it. One, I know one, you've one, announced it. Season five is happening in September. That 52 episodes, I'm done. 52 episodes. Well, we do. We do one a week. One a week. I know. Okay. So there you go. So make everyone count. Make them all count. That's a lot. Let's do less and then you won't have to retire. I don't know. People don't want us to do less. I get, you know, I got to tell you, when we met, if we're not up at like four in the morning on Friday when we drop new episodes, I can't, I wake up to all these texts and these messages. Where's the episode? Is there no episode this week? I mean, it's unbelievable. Like this is my job or something. Yeah, right. Well, you know, I, I do like it, though. If people I mean, only knew what we go through to do these. I know. <laughs> We've gone through death and life together. Uh, um, but I hope people are going to come to see us in Vegas because, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of nonsense, you know, people talking nonsense. And, and we're there to, you know, basically deliver the facts, just the facts. Facts from fiction. We like to cut through a lot of the stuff. Cut, cut through the bull. You know what I heard from today, speaking of? Um, or somebody we really like, Joe D'Augusta reached out. Oh, how nice. How's he yeah. doing? He's doing great. He's working great. on his memoirs. Yeah. So, so nice to hear from him. Always like, you know, I got the show to thank. There are a bunch of people that, you know, and we got some great people coming up in the next couple of weeks that we've been talking to. Indeed. Yeah. Some surprises. Yeah. Some real surprises. So if you, if very you big. This, if you thought this was uh, just meandering, you're, you're in for a treat. Oh, speaking of big. Um, how was Ty- Ticonderoga? You you spent some time with Bill Shatner again. Ticonderoga, as usual, is a dream fulfilled. Uh, it's always like uh, returning to uh, a home that I never lived in. Uh, it's, uh, you know, being 
surrounded by the uh, Starship Enterprise and getting to walk the corridors with Bill Shatner is an amazing experience. And uh, uh, when I first saw him, when he arrived, uh, he said, oh, hi, how are you doing? It's great to see you. And uh, I had to remind him what my name was, but that's fine because he did remember me. And uh, he remembered that I went with him on all his uh, tours last year. And uh, he was very uh, gracious and he, he loved uh, sparring a bit on the set with me. And uh, I would, uh, you know, give him some uh, some cues to uh, remind him of stories that he tells and things like that. And it's, it, it was, you know, very nice. And uh, I love uh, I love spending time with the captain. That's OK, and because it took him a few weeks before he stopped calling me Robert, Robert Mark. So I understand. Right. Um, I, <laughs> I have to say one thing we didn't mention was what oh, a yes. delight. We went to go see um, Le- our friends at Legion M did a, a lovely um, uh, get together with Bill uh, where he sang. We wouldn't miss he that did. for the world because he we did. thought perhaps he would sing common people from has been, or maybe no tears for Caesar from free enterprise or losing the sky with diamonds. But he actually sang, he sang a, a new song that he performed at Carnegie hall, at Carnegie hall, Kennedy yeah. center, Kennedy center. Kennedy center. Yeah. Remarkable. So he sang Darren, I wish I remembered all the lyrics, but the that was not the, the song. It was the title of it is "I Want to Be a Tree." I want to be a tree. And here's a we 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 he he asked that we not record the song, so we're not going to play the song. But here's a brief clip of his introduction to "I Want to Be a Tree." We got a phone call from um, Ben Folds. Now this is like twenty years later. Oh, hi, hey, Ben, Bill, home, oh, Bill. Dan, how are you, man? When kind of says, you know, I've been uh, appointed artistic director at the Kennedy Center. Have you got? Would you like to do an evening at the Kennedy? Would I like to do an evening? Mm-hmm. And it was Earth Day, like I, several months ahead, and it's going to be Earth Day. Have you got so, so many songs about Earth and about trees and things? Yeah, I end up at Kennedy Center with a half a dozen songs a 70-piece orchestra, and, and and all these the wonderful musicians at the National Symphony Orchestra. And it's an evening with me at the Kennedy Center on songs that I had really written, material that, uh, that I wrote in between the numbers, and it was a smash. People rose up and started applauding. It was like, and walked off and came back three times, back and forth. People screaming and yelling. We had to turn the lights on to get them 3,000 people out of that theater. It was a triumph of me doing the music. I'd gone from being laughed 30 years before, more, to having a musical triumph. When I say, no, no, it's just, I'm thinking, I'm thinking how many coincidences, and there's, in my opinion, there's no such thing as coincidence. How many things had to be in place to go from there to there? So that's the scan of the book, starting with that record and then many other stories of, God, I don't know how this happened, but that happened and this one, and then it ends with the concert at Kennedy Center, which, by the way, they didn't, um, they don't 
film, it wasn't on television, and they weren't going to make an album out of it. And I said, look, I'll put seven cameras on it, record it with fidelity, and I'll pay for it. And that's what I did. I paid for what will be a television show, uh, presumably called Shatner Live at Kennedy Center or something like that, and an album of these great songs. One of the songs is I Want to Be a Tree. Funny, huh? So, do not. Do not. What am I going to say? Don't record the... Uh, There's no beating the captain. No beating the captain. Captain is, oh, captain, my captain. How anyone could say anything bad about this guy. They don't, you know, to love him was to know him was to love him. Look, I can understand the frustrations of being an actor who is not number one on the call sheet. Yep. Uh, And uh, all of these, uh, these fears and, uh, and uh, uh, old arguments uh, come to the fore when you have hordes of uh, people cheering you on. And uh, that's what happens. And it's a, I'm sure it's a very frustrating thing for uh, the actors that work with them. Um, but, you know, I, I wish that they would all put those differences uh, away because there's fleeting time left. And you know what? I got news for you. He's right. The original series is the best series. That's so there correct. you go. But, you know, I got to tell you, he also says Gene Roddenberry would be rolling over in his grave over some of You know what? That was true at Deep Space Nine, too. And I love yeah. Deep Space Nine. Yeah. You know what? So, okay. So Gene would have loved all this stuff. Doesn't mean you should like it any less. But you know what? He's not wrong. He's, he might be wrong. I don't know. I don't know how Gene would respond to all these because he would be getting a big truckload of money every month. Nah, but you know what? Gene, by the time of Next Generation, really believed in this philosophy that, you know, there is no conflict. Humanity is more is, is, is perfected itself, that we all get along. So I do feel that... Um, you know, he would have a problem with sort of this idea that, you know, the characters in the, I mean, I, I think he would be apoplectic over those first two seasons of Picard, to be honest, you know, probably, probably. But, um, but well, I, I think the, the main thing he would be apoplectic about is not being consulted. Yeah. Well, and, the, and, and that was why he was so bitter because that was another thing people said, Oh, well, he thought Star Trek two was terrible. So what does he know? No, he didn't think Star Trek 2 was terrible. He didn't like it because he was pushed out. How would you yeah. like having created something and had your baby taken away? He I understand was why it passed out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, That's, look, this is a whole other thing. I don't want to get rolling on this again. Yeah. But I do want to thank everyone for joining us. I want to thank all of you who joined us at Comic-Con. So nice to see so many of you, people like the Huckman who came down, um, Miguel, uh, so many other people. Who I'm, I'm forgetting to mention that we're down at the uh, at the Comic Con, and again we were against Shatner, which was crazy because yeah. the whole weekend I had a John Wick panel. I was up against Keanu Reeves, right? But we had a packed house, which was nice. Yeah. Uh, in Glorious Treks, which we had a pretty full house, even yeah. against Shatner. I mean, it was just seemed like oh, and then I had my writing panel, which Ryan Condell was supposed to be on, but he had his House of the Dragon panel at the same time. Right. I don't know what happened, but I I was just like you know well, every the, panel was it's like the and, crack schedulers of uh, we, we held our own. Yeah. And we sold out of, apparently, as St. Martin's told me, we sold out of every copy they brought of the John Wick book. So that's, that's awesome. Well. Congratulations. So I'm not going to, uh, you know, belabor that. And then we are going to do an upcoming episode where we're going to release the uh, Starship Smackdown to you guys. 
That's the first, uh, folks. That's the first. Yeah. What do you think of SmackDown this year? Uh, I thought it was a little bit stilted, but that's okay. It was fun. I think the audience enjoyed it. Yeah. First time in three years. We're getting our sea legs again or space legs. Yeah. I thought it was good, but same thing. I I thought, you know, for the most part, I think it was very successful, but we'll let the audience decide. Yeah. People really seem to enjoy themselves. So that's good. We're very hard on ourselves. uh, In a later episode. I think Gene Roddenberry would be rolling over in his grave if he saw the SmackDown. So. I don't. I don't think the uh, Enterprise would ever lose against uh, anything at all, ever. <laughs> because it's a military ship, people follow the commands of the captain. Okay, um, this was great, Darren. Always a pleasure. Um, so I want to thank uh, especially Miguel uh, Mark Rivera, who was fantastic um, coming down. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, Bill Ritter. Um, thank you to our producers at uh, Peter Holmstrom, Nellie Miscali. Of course, the great Dean Devlin. And um, uh, thank you for being so supportive of the podcast all these years. And of course, you can rate us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, you can follow us on social media, the scourge of social media, right. on adding Glorious Trek on Twitter and Glorious Trek Spritz on Instagram and on Facebook. So until next week, on behalf of Darren and myself, Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking and gloriously, of course. I fell in love several times but I've never been in love like I am now with my wife so I took this song and used some of the old stuff and wrote some new stuff she gets too hungry for dinner at eight. She loves the theater, but never comes late. She never bother with people she hates, and that's why the lady is a tramp. Oh, doesn't like crap games with barons and earls. Won't go to Harlem in ermine and pearls. Won't dish the dirt with the rest of the girls, and that's why the lady is a tramp. She loves the free, fresh wind in her hair. Life without care. She's broke. It's up. Hates California. It's cold. It's damp.
tried to change her. Her ways are now set. She's my scarlet and I am her red. That's why the lady is a friend. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.